Good evening. All right, everybody comfortable? All right, let's stand. Bible in hand, let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for this opportunity to just worship you and to sing your praises. Thank you for your word. And Father, we know that every word that has been written down by the holy men and prophets of old were ordained and instructed by you to give us this. And we again are reminded, Father, that you have taken your word and you have honored it above even your own name. And we're asking now that our hearts and our minds would be anointed to receive your very word tonight. Whether you speak to us collectively as a church body or maybe individually as a son or a daughter of God. But we just want to be able, Lord, to hear what the Spirit might have to say to the church today. We love you so much. Again, ask for that anointing in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, if you have a cell phone, you might want to silence it. Uh, Someone said to me last week, that's the biggest fear she has, is her phone going off during the service. Won't point to the person here tonight. But, um, yeah, you know, it's funny. One time I was teaching up at Philly, and I thought I had my phone off. And uh, I have a certain ringtone um, for my wife, and I don't know why she wanted to call me. Uh, maybe to leave me a message, but my ringtone for her is called Earth Angel, if you remember the uh, song. So all of a sudden you heard, Earth Angel, Earth Angel. I'm going, oh man, where's my phone? Uh, so it happens to, to all of us. We are in Hebrews chapter 11, if you'll turn there with me this evening. We have come as far as uh, verse 31. We had mentioned uh, Rahab last week, but I, prob- I, I kind of want to look at her again this evening as we start off. Hebrews 11, starting with verse 31. It, sa- it says there that um, by faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not. And when she had received the spies with peace. And um, of course, we're looking at... Um, this chapter, a well-known chapter to many, some have called it the Hall of Faith. You know, the, all these different halls, the football Hall of Fame, baseball Hall of Fame, they all, they all have that. And people like to visit, it, visit them from time to time. And, and uh, I have to confess that one day I'd like to go and visit that uh, uh, football Hall of Fame. But um, if the rapture doesn't happen, maybe that'll happen. But you know what? It's good that you and I, from time to time, visit the Hall of Faith here. And trust me, it's more beneficial for you as a Christian. Um, some of the people that are mentioned in this uh, chapter, this Hall of Faith chapter, I get it. It makes sense. You know, speaking of Moses and the difficulties that he had with the Israelites and going through uh, the wilderness to get them into the promised land. And, and I know Moses wasn't the perfect man. He had his ups and downs. He had his hiccups, certainly. Uh, but you, you would expect uh, Moses and Jacob and Abraham to be in there. But Rahab, you know, you kind of wonder, you know, and it's good to revisit it. You know, and go back and, and, and look at the whole thing. So 
If you would, please, I want you to turn to the left a little bit and go to Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapter 2. And we're going to be doing a little bit of turning tonight, so it might be helpful if you're not totally familiar where all the books are in the Old Testament to have your finger in the index, so... Of course, I'm not going to be, I won't have the time to read every account and um, everything about Rahab, but there are some things that I just want to uh, point out to you and kind of give you the reason why I think she's in there. You know, in chapter 2 of Joshua, it says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, uh, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. Remember, the Israelites had just crossed over into the promised land. And um, their first uh, encounter will be this battle with Jericho. And so uh, Joshua sends these spies and they went and they came into a, a harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And just FYI, there are many who will say that the proper translation for that is an innkeeper, that she was an innkeeper on the wall. And they're correct, um, but it also can be translated that she had a little business going on and and her her dwelling was on top of the the walls of of Jericho there. And the reason why I think she's a, a, a harlot is because the New Testament interprets her to be one. And so you're your Bible is your best commentary. And so anyway, so you kind of get an idea like, okay, this is the kind of gal she is. So again, let me ask you, why is she in the hall of faith? Someone, someone like her. And, um, and so verse two, and it was told the king of Jericho saying, behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country, to spy it out. The king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they, uh, they be come to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them, and said thus, uh, there, there came men unto me, but I didn't know who they were or where they were from. And it came to pass about the time of the shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whether the men went, I don't know. Pursue after them quickly, uh, for you you shall overtake them. And she kind of lied to, uh, to him, right? So it's, it's kind of interesting that this gal is uh, in the hall of faith. But she had brought them up to the roof of her house and hid them with stalks of flax, which she had uh, laid in order upon them. So she's covering them up with this material, these stalks. And the men pursued after them the way of Jordan unto the fords. And as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, well, they shut the gate. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof. And she said unto the men, the two spies, and I, this is where you could probably start to circle and highlight. I know that the Lord has given you the land. I wonder how she knew this. And that the terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. So Jericho is in fear. For we have heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Red Sea. And again, I have to ask myself the question how did they hear about this? 
you know, um, testimonies, you know, most likely uh, people that are traveling and journeying, coming into the and say, hey, there is a there's these Israelites that just came from Egypt and their God delivered them. And so the testimony of the the Israelites coming into Jericho and instead of Jericho finding peace or finding some type of of um, answers, you know, some of life's questions, they began to to experience terror and fear, anxiety. And so they heard about how the Red Sea had dried up for them. And also in the middle of verse 10, and what you did to the two kings of the Ammonites, which were on the other side, Jordan, Sihon, and Og, which you utterly destroyed. He's talking about this, the great cities of Bashan and how, the, how God gave Israel favor over the giants. Um, Goliath being a giant. I mean, there was a race of people, and I can't go into that whole study, but uh, God supernaturally gave them the victory over these giants. No way could they have done that naturally with just skills, you know, uh, warlike skills. But so they look what it says in verse 11. As soon as we had heard these things, and again, the testimonies of these things, our hearts did melt. And neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. Now notice this, and this is why I think she is in the hall of faith. For the Lord your God, and she calls him Jehovah. Now that is the last God they worshipped in Jericho. For the Lord your God, he is the God in heaven above and the earth beneath. Now, again, uh, of course, we're trying to make application with some of this and looking at her and the reasons why she's in this great hall of faith is because somehow there was this faith that welled up inside of her, not just in her mind, but also in her heart. She sees the fear and the terror that everybody else is experiencing, and she's able within her heart to make the difference. You know, I'm, I, if, if this is truly an act of a God that they call Jehovah, what side do I want to be on? And of course, many of us have made that choice in our lives. You know, some of us early in our lives, some of us later. But that's, that's still small voice. We had to make a choice what side we're going to be on. And she took that side like, my goodness, if it's a God that can part a Red Sea where three million people can walk across dry ground. And there's, there's just more than one person testifying of this. And if they can literally take on the giants of Bishon or the great giants of the, of this, uh, they call it the city, 60 cities of the giants. If they can defeat them, their Jehovah can do that. And I need to be on that side. Not a perfect individual, to say the least. We've read it. You know, you got to question her occupation. She's not a very truthful person. She's not really, she's willing just to hide these people because, just to save face or to save her hide. And yet God feels like, or not feels, that's a bad word to use of God, but God knows that she would be the one to put into the hall of faith, even with a shady character from the past. Now, we're going to see that more than once as we close out this chapter. That God doesn't look at our past. He doesn't look at, and yet he, he calls things that aren't as though they are. He can probably call us saints even before we ever committed our hearts to Christ. Because he sees things that aren't as though they've already happened. Amen, guys? 
And so, but look at the, look at the end of this. He said, neither I pray these, because this is important. This is the result of her faith. Now, therefore, I pray you swear to, uh, unto me by the, the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my notice, not just me, but my father's house, and give me a true token that you will save alive my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters. Man, there's something noble about this gal. She, here she is, man. She's not just worried about herself, but now she's worried about her entire family. You know, and I think for most part, all of us are. In fact, I was just talking to a, a, someone walking down the hall just now, how we're so concerned about our sons. You know, how we're concerned about our family. And I think I even taught on this on in Sunday morning. I was Sunday morning. And, and again, I believe, I truly believe, it's my personal conviction. I can't teach this as doctrine. But I really believe that God wants to grant to us our heart's desire. If you kind of have that in your heart hidden somewhere, raise the hand. Right? Why? What, how else could we live? Right? I, I need to believe that. That my God is gracious and powerful enough to bring my sons and my daughters into the kingdom of God. It might be the ninth hour. But I don't care what hour it is or what second. I just need the peace that I know that I'm going to be singing the song of the redeem that is in Revelation chapter 5 and 6 that I'm going to sing it with my children and my aunts and my uncles that I love so much that I've witnessed to. Amen, guys? And she has the same mentality. She has the same heartbeat here. Okay, I'm going to save you and I'm going to risk everything that I know because I hear the testimony. And by the word, they overcame the enemy by the word of their testimony. There's something very powerful in testimonies. Not, the testimonies aren't God's, uh, the, the word of God, but they are powerful. Uh, just a side note. But um, here her heart is not just, it's not selfish. It's, it's other-centered. It's about her family. And she wants to make sure that her mother, her father, brothers, sisters... That they're all going to be delivered from death. And that's my same cry to my Savior. That my kids, my, the loved ones, the people that I've been praying for all these years won't taste the second death. But enjoy the first life. Amen, guys? And then verse 14, the men answered her, Our lives for, your, uh, for yours, if you utter not this our business. And it, came, um, and it shall be that when the Lord has given us the land... That we will deal kindly with thee. Back to uh, Hebrews. So we, we see Rahab there. And uh, so many people can relate to a Rahab. But now we go into verse 32. And um, I'm just toying with the thought. Do I want to cover? I am going to cover Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, David, Samuel. But look at verse 33, and let's kind of read through that. I'll make some comments and then go back to Gideon, because I want to make sure I finish the chapter this evening. Verse 33, in, in reference to those that are mentioned in verse 32, who through faith subdued kingdoms, they wrought righteousness, they obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, Oh, my goodness, right away you go to Daniel chapter 6, don't you? The familiar Sunday school story with Daniel in the lion's den. Amen, guys? And some, oh, my goodness. I said I wasn't going to stop. Let's turn to Daniel chapter 6. Let's look at this real quick. Daniel 6.
Because there is something in David's life. Of course, we would think that the reason that Daniel is in the Hall of Faith, of course, is, I mean, you're thrown into a lion's den and, and an angel come and shuts the mouths of the lions and, and, it, and, it, and it just blows the king's mind. You would think that's the reason he's in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter Chapter 11, it could be, but again, there's something that I see that I want to bring out to you. Now, remember that the king had made a decree that no one's to pray. And Daniel knows that the time of their occupation, the time of their captivity is coming to an end. So Daniel purposes to open his windows to point his face towards Jerusalem, knowing that that captivity is got, And he starts to pray, and so the king's... Um, spies catch Daniel praying, turn him in. And so Daniel, because of his, or the king's decree, he has to, by law, throw Daniel into this den of lions. The king loves Daniel. He's a little mad at himself because he makes, he made such a hasty decree, you know. And he's saying, oh, Daniel, I'm praying for you, buddy. I hope God's protects you and and when I come in in the morning I'm going to be yelling down into this den of lions and but anyway picking it up at verse 10 Daniel knew that the writing was signed and he went into his house the writing that the law was made no one can pray this was King Darius for he went into his house and his windows being open in his chambers towards Jerusalem that he knelt down three times a day and he prayed and he gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. And then these men assembled. They found Dan- Daniel praying. Making supplications before his God. And then they came near. And they spoke to the king. Concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree. That every man that shall ask petition of any God. Or man within 30 days. Save of thee O king. Shall be cast into the den of lions. The king answered, and he said, the thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which, uh, which uh, authoreth not. And then answered they, and they said before the king, well, that Daniel, which is of the children, the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh this petition three times a day. The king, when he had heard these words, he was sore displeased with himself. He set his heart on Daniel's, on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. And then these men assembled to the king, and they said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is that no decree or statue, uh, nor statue which the king establishes may be changed. And then the king commanded that they brought Daniel, cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake. Um, and said unto Daniel, and I want you to notice this, Daniel, thy God whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. A stone was brought, laid upon the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. 
Neither were instruments of music brought before him. His sleep went from him. It's really disturbing the king, isn't it? Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste into the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And he says, and then the king spake and said, O Daniel, and notice again the second time, servant of the living God. Is thy God whom thou servest a third time continually able to deliver thee from the lion's den and are from the lions? And of course, Daniel responds back to him and said, King, you can have a good night's rest tonight, man. God has sent his angels and he shut the mouths of the lion. Now, of course, one would believe with full heart that the reason that Daniel is in, the, in Hebrews chapter 11 is because of his faith. You know, being thrown down into the lion's den. But you know what I see here? What I see is service, service, service. And then what I see after that is deliverance. Daniel, the God whom you serve, is he able to deliver you? You know, a lot of people will embrace the deliverance part, but they kind of leave out the servant part. And of course, we all prayed, Lord, deliver, deliver me from, you can fill in the blank, right? Lord, deliver me from this crazy situation I've got myself into. Deliver, deliver. Now, if you think about it, how long have you been saved? You know, I'm probably I'm 73, do the math. How many times have I said, God, deliver me? God, could you just, on my behalf, step in here? God, would you please provide for me? But how many times have I just, cried out to the Lord, make me a servant, God. Lord, make me someone who, no matter if they throw me into a lion's den or, and hopefully that'll never happen, but, or whether, or whether I have to endure hardships, but God, number one is I want to serve you. Now think what takes the, the most part of your life. You know, what, what, what uh, consumes, well, let's just think of a day. What consumes your day? Think about it. Now, this is personal. This is where you're in your prayer closet. How much of it is the Lord and how much of it is us? How much are we pleading for God to deliver us, to set us free? And, and, I, and I'm not saying God won't do that. But if you really think about it and if you keep it real with yourself, we can be very selfish at times. We can be so self-centered that it's just about me and about my life and what I have, what I don't have. And then, by the way, God, if you can use me. I look at someone like Daniel, and we're going to look at the three Hebrew children as well tonight. But I look at them guys, and I just see, yes, they, they, they know all about deliverance and how God can carry them through. But there was some, there's something in the Old Testament about the, 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 the forefathers of faith. They had this mentality that what comes along with deliverance is servanthood. And I, man, the church needs to be praying about that. What do we do to serve him? Do we wake up, God, and say, look, God, I just want to serve you today. You know, a long, a long time ago, there was this Christian artist. His name was Larry Norman. And he wrote a song called, I Am a Servant. And there was a part in there that I didn't quite understand. And it says, I've been sitting in the hall just waiting for your call. And, you know, and I heard him speak about that, um, that um, message, and he just realized that so many times we just find ourselves sitting and not re- and listening, but we, we should be stepping out and finding a place to serve him. That deliverance does come along 
with servants. Go back to uh, Hebrews now. We dealt with Daniel. <laughs> so obtain promises, stop the mouths of lions, quench the violence of fire. Of course, Daniel chapter 3, that speaks of the three Hebrew children, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Oh, why not? Go back to Daniel. Yeah, we'll get through this chapter. Daniel chapter 3. Again, I just want to show you something. Some of these things are, especially if you've been raised in the church, are just, they're great Sunday school stories. You know, the old flannel graphs. We, <laughs> the Daniel and the, and the den of lions with all the lions that... Uh, you know, don't <laughs> look like they're purring. And, um, and of course, we have the uh, Nebuchadnezzar and his great statue that he built and said that everybody's got to bow down and, and worship the statue, the graven image and all. And then, but anyways, chapter 3, starting with verse 12. Yeah, I, we'll pick it up there. There were certain Jews whom... Thou hast said over the affairs of the Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not your God, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And remember, Nebuchadnezzar made this, again, a law, um, that when there's this music was played, whether it was the harp or the dulcimer or any of these instruments, that everyone in the kingdom had to stop what they were doing. They had to bow down to this image that Nebuchadnezzar had made, and then they had to worship it. And, of course, remember, they're in Babylonian captivity, and the Jews are not going to bow down to any graven image, not these three anyway. And so it goes on in verse 13, when Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, then they brought these men before the king, and the king spake, and he said unto them, Is it true? Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up. Now, if you be ready, that at the time you hear the sound of the um, the coronet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the sautry, the dulcimer, and all and and uh, all the kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, but if you worship not, you're going to be cast the same the very the same hour into the burning fiery furnace and who is that god that who is the god that shall deliver you out of my hands boy he's going to find out shadrach meshach and abednego answered uh to the king o nebuchadnezzar we're not careful to answer thee in this matter now this is again of course we believe that they're in this hall of faith because of the very act of not bowing down or and being cast into the fire. Um, but I think what we read in verses 17 and 18 is really points the, the real reason they were in there. He says this. He goes, we're not careful to answer. We don't have to give this a second thought. If it be so that our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, well, he'll deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Now, that takes a lot of faith, doesn't it? Verse 18 takes even more faith. 
But if not, we want you to know, king, that we will not serve your God, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. You know, I think that is true faith right there. You want to talk about biblical faith? Keeping your walk with the Lord no matter what fire you find yourself in. Now, it's not likely that you and I are ever going to, we're ever going to find ourselves in some kind of furnace, you know, and uh, because we're not bowing down to the idols of the world. That might not. But we all do experience a fire, a trial, you know. The question is, will we stay true to our God? Will we stay true to uh, our, our relationship with Jesus Christ? Or will we, like many, because of the fire that we're experiencing, kind of cop an attitude where we start to blame God for the situation, and then we just abandon our relationship with the Lord? And you're saying, well, Harry, there's no way. But it, there, it is. I was even talking to my granddaughter tonight about that. You know, you, you've tasted something that... You know that was good. You were enlightened by the Spirit of God. And if you taste those things, you've been enlightened by those things. And then you just purposely walk away. So there, there is that probability of people saying, you know what? I don't like this heat. I don't like this fire. Things have just gotten worse for me since I became a Christian. Real faith, biblical faith. You stick in there. You don't abandon it. Right, guys? That's why I believe they're in this. Um, this glorious uh, hall of faith in chapter 11. Now, of course, you know the rest of the story. They get thrown in there, it's, it, and he is so mad because he says, they say to the king, we're not careful, you know, so what? You know, we're, we're not going to compromise with this. He gets so mad, he heats up the thing, I think it's seven times hotter, and the people who are trying to throw the Hebrew children in actually die from the heat itself. And then when the thing cools down a bit, the king goes over and looks into the, the fiery pit there, and he goes, wait a minute, didn't I cast three in there? And of course, Nebi, old Nebi says, well, then why do I see four walking around? And, the, and if you read it carefully, he says, and the fourth appears to be the Son of God. Very interesting phrase for the Old Testament, you know. So we talk about Christophanes, but we never think, wow, there was an appearance of Christ in the flames of Nebuchadnezzar's uh, furnace. So I think the reason they're in there is because they were able to stand even in the midst of a trial. Let's keep going down a little bit, guys, and see how far we can go. He says uh, again, uh, after the fire, the violence of fire, escape the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, vex. Wax valent in fight, uh, turn, uh, t uh, turn to flight the, arm, uh, the armies of the alien. Women received their dead, raised to life. That's First uh, Kings chapter 17. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Boy, that takes faith, right? Others had trials of cruel mocking, scourging, yea, moreover, bonds and imprisonment. Some of them were stone. They were sawed asunder, most likely referring to Isaiah, who was put into a hollow log, and um, their persecutors cut the log in half, were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, uh, goat 
being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. Remember, by faith, this is the hall of faith. By faith, they were able to endure or to go through these things. He says, of whom the world was not worthy, they wandered in the deserts and mountains and in dens and caves and, and the earth. I think of David a lot when I read that verse, how he, was, how he fled from Saul. All, and he says, and these, all having obtained a good report, all these, what? Both groups is what he's referring to. Now, let me explain something to you. When you read this, um, this chapter, there are the group of saints who are delivered, like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, like Daniel, like a Moses, and you see that they were delivered out of. But then there's another group with the same kind of faith that was delivered through it. And that's the problem with faith today. The mentality that people have in the church today with faith is, I want to be delivered out of, not delivered through. And I think it takes a lot more faith, a lot more trust when you're in a fiery furnace or you're sitting in a den of lions ready to be cat food. Um, to say, God, no matter what, I am going to stick with this walk that I have with you, no matter what comes my way. And, and, and it says that they, God honored these men and these women. And I know this sounds selfish. I know it does. I know, but I want that kind of honor. I don't want to be a person that's tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine. I don't want to be a a Christian that every time I'm in the thicket of things that I, I just, just deliver me out of it. No, maybe God's will is that I'm not delivered, but I got to go through it. Isaiah wasn't delivered out of it, but he certainly was de- delivered through it and such. Um, with that being said, now let's go back to Gideon. Let's go back to verse 32. I think, you know, there's these Old Testament stories that, uh, you know, people, well, everyone has their, their favorite, right? You know, s- s- some would say that David taking on Goliath is a favorite one. Of course it is. And I, but I think this story with Gideon just, I, I wouldn't say it's my favorite Old Testament story, but it is very intriguing. I mean... To see just some of the small parts through this whole thing. Well, turn, turn with me to um, Judges again. Chapter 6, Judges. And, I, and I'll tell you why I think he is in the hall of faith here. And of course, I don't want to go through the whole thing with you that the the study of uh, Gideon itself is um, a good Bible study you know the one thing that I, I, I actually I said it last week that uh, Gideon at this time too in the judges it seemed that Israel was really backslidden because when you start to look at the different judges and all you would you'll read something like this and they did that which was evil in the sight of God and um, they really 
we're in a bad way in the relationship with the Lord. But then the Midianites... Um, They come against the Israelites, and the Israelites scattered and began to hide in caves. They would come through and just ravish the land so that the Israelites had nothing to eat. If they, if they wanted to thresh wheat, they would have to find an area where they wouldn't be caught Gideon at this time was actually hiding. He's hiding behind sort of like a, a, a wine press, and he's trying to thresh wheat. He's trying to make bread. He wants bread to feed his family. And when you read this account, it just seems that everybody is just gripped with fear again, terrorized. You know, not, not just the uncertainties of life in and of itself. I mean, imagine you're just trying to get enough food to feed your family. And so Gideon, he's doing this, and God sends a prophet and says to Gideon, Gideon, mighty man of valor. Now, if you know the story about Gideon, you have to stop and go, well, wait a minute. Why would you call him a mighty man of valor when, well, this guy, he's just hiding. But again, what God sees within an individual is potential. He, he knows the real makeup of Gideon, and he knows the real makeup of Jephthah and, and Barak and all these Old Testament saints. He knows that. And so he can call those things that in your heart you might think are not, but he calls them as they were because he really does know the individual. In fact, what he calls him in chapter 7 is uh, Jerubbabel, which literally means the challenger of Baal. Well, he's not challenging Baal, the false god. He's not challenging him, but yet God again sees this. He's going to tell Gideon actually to go up to this area, high area, to cut down the groves of Baal eventually. And so what we see here, in fact, let's pick it up in verse 7 and just read a few verses here. It says, when Zerubbabel, who was Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, he said, so that the, the hosts of the, Midian, the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, the people that are with you are too many. See, Gideon had a handful of men that were willing to go fight with him. Now, look, they're going against the, the odds. I think the odds were like 450 to 1, all said and done, if my math was right. I mean, for Gideon to take a handful of men to go against the Midianites was just ludicrous. It was just crazy. And yet God, now by this time, Gideon knows that God is speaking to his heart. And God challenges him and says that you have a little, you have too many. And he says why later on in, the, in this chapter, and it's because I want everyone to know that this, that this victory that I'm going to give to you was not by your hands, but by my hand. And sometimes God does that in our lives, folks. He, li he likes the odds to be against us. He really does. 
He likes to stack it against us. And he, he even puts the saint in a position where you even know, hey, within me, I, I, don't, know, I don't know how to get out of this jam. I don't know. I'm going to have to totally trust in God. And when you trust in God and his hand does deliver you, you have to give him the glory and the praise. Amen. He says there's just too many of them, right? He says, now, therefore, go to the people and in the ears of the people, whoever is fearful, whoever's afraid, let him return, depart early from Mount Gilead and their return of the people, 20 and 2000. Again, he just lost two thirds of his army. <laughs> okay, guy, can you imagine getting calling his army out and saying, okay, by the way, guys, uh, listen, if you're dealing with a little anxiety here. I know the odds are against us, but if you got any fear, listen, it's okay with me. Just go ahead back. And to watch two-thirds of your army just walk away. Talk about someone who should be in the hall of faith. Now, again, I'm not going to go through the, the whole thing where God says, look, the odds are still too great. I want to lessen the odds. So he says, he goes, look, take them down to the brook, the rest of the guys that you have. And look, the guys that kind of lean down to the brook to drink, if their face is down and they're lapping the water like a dog, just send them home. But if they're kneeling down and their head is up and they're bringing the water up to their mouths, that's going to be your army. And I think by the time Gideon was done, there's only 300 guys left. Now think about the odds. No wonder this guy is in the hall of faith here. But again, you know, after he then takes on the Gideonites or the Mennonites uh, in chapter eight, he's now chasing them with just this small band of guys. And he and he just he's after the, the king. He's going to annihilate just with 300 guys. But look at chapter eight, verse four. Gideon came to Jordan, passed over he and 300 of his men and were with him faint, yet pursuing them. Now, I don't know how long this... Look at me for a second, guys. This is how I keep you awake from time to time. You know, next I'll say, okay, jump at Jacks. But listen, think about this. You know, you've you got 300 guys. You've been fighting all day long. Was it two days? Well, yeah, we don't know. Can you imagine the, 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 just how exhausted these men were? And yet they knew, look, we can't just stop here. We've got to pursue these guys as far as we can to make sure this thing is annihilated, that it's done, it's out of our way. We've got to destroy this thing. You talk about, pers- uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, persevering. You talk about persevering, just moving and moving and not quitting until you know it's done. And then sitting here reading this this afternoon, I went, that's it. It takes faith. See, a lot of times we'll go into a trial, you know, even if God calls us this mighty man of valor and you we go, wait a minute, you, you can call me all you want, God, but the, the, the odds are stacked against me. I'm a little nervous, but I want you to persevere. I want you to keep going. I don't want you to stop. I want you to go all the way to the end. And if you don't, this Midianite's going to come back and bite you. Just like the, Amor, uh, the Amalekites with Saul, Right. Go kill all the Amalekites, Saul. Don't let one live. That was the command from the prophet. Saul gets there. He start, he, the victory was overwhelming. But Saul, instead of being obedient, he allows a few of the Amalekites, the king being one of them, 
to lift just to sport him down the street as a trophy. And towards the end of his life, as he's in battle, right, the guy that's ready to bring the sword down to kill him, Saul says, who are you? He names himself and he goes, I am an Amalekite. And that's what happened when he didn't destroy every Amalekite. And so we see in Gideon's life, he is not going to let that happen. He perseveres. He keeps going. He He doesn't care how long it's going to take. Look what it says here. And he said unto the men of sackcloth, give, I pray you, loaves to the bread. Now they're, now they're going to eat. And he said, my people, or they'll faint. I'm, I am um, pursuing after Ziba and Zalem and all these kings of, of Midian. You know, when I read that too, by the way, I thought of Philippians, Philippians chapter 3. And if you want to go back in that direction, because we're going to go back to Hebrews. But in Philippians, let me read this to you. I know it's a familiar verse to many of us. Philippians chapter 3, it says this. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the, de- of, I'm sorry, of the dead, not as though I had already obtained, neither were uh, already perfect. He says, but I follow after, if I, may, uh, if, if I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press towards the mark the high um, of the prize, the high calling of God in Christ. Do you see the language there? I press on. I keep moving. Talk about persevering. Paul the Apostle... I mean, forget about it. Think about all that that guy went through. A guy that could have honestly said, you know, I should have walked away a long time ago. Here's a guy that lost everything. You think about it. There are those that say that he was married. He was a part of the Sanhedrin. And some scholars would say the reason he's not married in the New Testament is because the wife didn't want to deal with Christianity and left him. He had friends. They abandoned him, according to him. He at one time had money. He became destitute. He was broke. He, he, he knew what it was to be shipwrecked. He knew what it was like to despair life. He even knew what it was like to be depressed. Talk about somebody that says, you know what? I am going to keep pressing on persevering. And that's what I see in Gideon's life. He didn't quit. He kept going till every one of them was annihilated. Back to Hebrews now. There's a lot in this chapter, Yeah. Now we're looking at Barak. Not too many people think of this guy, but if you go back to Judges chapter 4 now. Sorry to make you go. I should have kept you in Judges. Chapter 4. And again, I'm going to have to paraphrase this story for you. But there's a reason why this guy is also in the Hall of Faith. Um, Barak um, was under a judge. Her name was Deborah. Deborah, the judge, comes to Barak and says, you know what? Um, God wants to give you the victory. God wants to use you to deliver Israel. And there was a king by the name of Jabin who had a general. His name was Sisera. And Sisera was kind of a mean guy. He had 900 um, chariots of iron. He just annihilated everyone. When Syria found out, Sisera found out that that Israel is getting together, he went after them. 
But Deborah encouraged Barak to not, not to be afraid. And he all, she also, or the Lord also called Barak a mighty man of valor as well. And so as they begin this confrontation in verse 15, it tells us that the Lord intervened for him. And it says, the Lord discomforted Syria, Sisera, and his chariots, all his hosts, with the edge of the sword before Barak, so that Sisera lighted off, his, off of his chariot and he fled away on foot. So apparently what it looks like to me is, is God confused them with all these chariots confronting the Israelites. Sisera panics. He gets off his chariot and, he's, and, he, and he just takes off on foot. Verse 16, but Barak pursued after the chariots and after the host of Ahazareth of the Gentiles. And all the host of Syria fell upon the edge of the sword and there was not a man left. Halbert Sisera fled away on on feet to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. So Sisera, he runs, he comes to a tent, and there J.L. is there, this wife. She is a Bedouin. Now, you've got to get this picture in your mind, though. It's classic. I don't know. Of course you haven't. When you go to Israel, sometimes they'll take you on a a kind of a tour out into the Judean wilderness. And you'll meet up with these Bedouins. There's, they still exist today. It's funny because they sleep in tents, very rugged. They got a little campfire in the middle of the tent. And yet a Mercedes Benz will be parked outside the tent. And they're, they're sheep herders. And um, the men do absolutely nothing. It is the funniest thing, maybe not to you gals, but it is so comical. Because all you see is the guy sitting there with his little staff, his she- you know, his shepherd staff. And he just guides them around the wilderness trying to find something to eat while the women are home putting up the tents, keeping the fire going. And so I believe Bill Pfeiffer and I, we kind of broke off from the group and we went up to this tent where they were just putting up a tent. And I saw this Bedouin woman. She had a baby strapped to her back. Of course, she's covered to protect herself from the heat, the sun. But she's got a tent stake. That looked like it was about three foot long. That's a little of a, it must have been 18 to 24 inches long. It's a, she's got a mallet in the other hand, baby on the back. Ladies, you come a long way, right? She, I'm telling you, she, got, she had somehow, oh, and the rope was tied to the thigh of her leg where she could walk it like this to pull the tent tight. And don't forget, the husband's out in the field watching the sheep. Uh, you guys don't think that's funny. And, um, but I watched this gal with this mallet. Now, I don't know how, you know, I don't want to exact, exact, but this thing was a mouth, wasn't a hammer. She pulls up like this and with like three whacks on this thing. She nails that thing all the way into the earth. And then she go to the next one. She wraps that thing around her leg, starts pulling it this way, gets that stake out. Baby's still strapped on her back, you know. Well, that's a woman, I tell you. You don't want to mess with someone like that, right? So he comes to JL. I'm going to just paraphrase it. Do you mind? Because I'm having a lot of fun with this. So she comes to JL. And JL says, hey, why don't you, you want me to hide you? So she takes him to the tent. And he, of course, been running because of the Israelites chasing him. He's as thirsty as all get up. He asks her for a drink of water. 
She goes, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a nice warm glass of milk. So she goes and she gets some goat milk, you know, and she brings it in, she heats it up for him. And it's a real creamy thing. They still drink it today there. And uh, she gives it to him. Well, that, that's like taking a tranquilizer. I mean, that puts you right out. And so she, he, she, he falls asleep. Well, she takes one of these tense things. I know. It's, it's my kind of woman. So anyway, well, I'm just glad Irma's not that way. And she, you know, she holds that thing, and with a few whacks, she pierces his head right to the ground. And so... Um, that's where we pick up the story. So, <laughs> well, you guys. Uh, so anyhow, Syria fled. They went to jail. So the jail went out of the, to meet Syria and says to him, turn in, my Lord. You know, here you go. He goes into the tent. He wants some water. Give me, I pray, a little bit of water. And she brings out this milk. And she stands at the door um, of the house, you know, of her tent. And she says, Jael, uh, the wife, she takes the nail of the tent and took a hammer in her hand and went softly unto him, smote the nail into his temple and fastened it to the ground. For, she, for he was fast asleep and weary, and so he died. I guess so. You, you know, again, why, why Gideon, you know? You know the, the thing about Gideon, guys, is... He just never gave up. He, you know, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, I got uh, He never gave up. He followed, and you know what? It's such a picture of, of the flesh. They say that um, Sisera is a picture of the flesh. Like, you can conquer all these different enemies, but to really conquer the flesh, it's got to be nailed. I know it's kind of a brutal picture, but it's got to be nailed to the cross. It's a beautiful picture, you and I. If we ever want to just conquer the flesh, you just can't chase down your enemies. You've got to take that flesh, nail it to the cross of Christ, and then let God be that source of victory. Amen, guys? I think that's enough for tonight, yeah? And tonight I will make the, the mistake and call Josh up here five or six times. So would you stand with me and we'll end in prayer? You can study the rest of them. Jephthah and um, just do your cross-reference. I just had a lot of fun with this today. today. And uh, Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, for you. And we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I just pray, God, that as we continue just looking into the book of Hebrews, God, and just look at, just thinking about faith, Lord, that we would be honest with ourselves. Do we really have genuine biblical faith? Well, faith is the substance of these things that we hope for. It's not what we see. And I guess, Father, to, to start with, what we hope for, it's just the totality of you taking over our lives. That whether, God, we... we go over a trial or we have to go through a trial whether we have to embrace a fiery trial that Lord by faith they overcame where they went through by faith Father again I think of the verse in the New Testament where it says Lord I believe but help me in my unbelief help me Father we know faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God so give us a hunger for your word Help us to wake up in the morning just so hungry for the manna, the word of God. 
Help us to be thirsty for the things of God because you're the only one that can quench that thirst. Please, Lord, we don't care what the theologian says about faith or what the word of faith people say. We want biblical and true faith. Not leaning on our own understandings, but acknowledging you in, in all our ways. You'll direct our path no matter what that, where that path leads us. Just so that we know that you're leading. Help us, Lord. Because, Lord, when it's all said and done, when we're standing before you that glorious day, all we want to hear is, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Lord, help us not to be those that just seek for deliverance, but help us to seek to be servants. Servants of the Most High God. Again, Lord, thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said together, amen. God bless you guys.